speak for myself. I am the Lorax, I speak for the trees. No shack, baby loves shack. Hi, I'm Aura Van Dank, and you're watching another episode of Murder's a Drag. Or possibly your first episode of Murder's a Drag. Who am I to say what you're doing this day, on this specific day? It could be your first time. And if it is your first time listening to my podcast, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not sure... This is what you were looking for. And if it was, I am so glad that you found this mad family because we're all in this together. I do, however, encourage you to go back to the beginning, back to my roots and start listening from there. Binge a little bit. Go to my website. I have fabulous t-shirts. I have like six designs available. I don't announce that ever on here, which is very dumb of me. But if you haven't noticed, I can be a little airheady. It's all the bleach going to my brain. I'm a blonde. No offense to other blonde. You may have noticed some audio discrepancies in the past couple of episodes, podcast listeners specifically. I'm working on it, okay? I'm getting new equipment, new microphone. I am literally in a new studio. Check my Instagram. I will show you pictures. This is like a full studio. There's like, it's brand new. We just built it. So we need to like fill it with furniture. So there's like a tad bit of an echo this week that I'm going to try to get in editing. So I, you might not even care what I'm saying right now, but if there's a bit of an echo, you know why. Check my Instagram for pictures of it too, because it's freaking awesome. We did this whole studio. We got it done in our house. I'm literally like four feet from my bedroom right now in a full studio. It's, it's fantastic. It's perfect. I'm settling into things out here in Palm Springs. I have a nice garden. My little herb babies are growing nicely. We have a fun lizard population living in our garden, our little garden bed, which is fine with me. Apparently also a cat that I named Yoki after the small pasta dough thing, because I once fed it Noki. I learned today that she shits in our garden as if it is an enormous litter box. And I just have to say that I'm glad she feels safe enough to poop here. That's a thing for animals. You know, they're very exposed when they're pooping and Noki, our kitty cat, comes and poops on our yard. So that can't be a bad thing to me. It's fertilizer for the garden and Noki trusts us enough to shit at our house and I couldn't be more grateful for that. Charlie's also pretty rad, you know, Kind of in love with him. It's weird having a boyfriend that, like, actually cares about you and isn't actively trying to hurt you, like my ex, who had a bunch of stuff on his hard drives that he shouldn't have had. And when the FBI came knocking, he blew his brains out. That was years after we broke up, though. That's just the end of him. So I think that's a good description of, like, the kind of person that he was. So this this dichotomy here, juxtaposition, two of my favorite words, is strange to me. And you you have to understand that. I'm, it's weird. <laughs> it really is. My Also, that relationship lasted three months, which was my longest relationship ever. And this relationship's already been like six months. And it's just strange to be in a relationship that long and to be in a relationship again after being single for almost a decade. And I'm 22 years old. So a decade is like half of my life. It, it's strange. And I can't emphasize that enough. Anywho, fuck that piece of shit. This week, I focused my energy on researching the case of Zoraida Reyes and found it, once again, very difficult to find biographical information about her, which was very sad because this is something I run into week after week, and my podcast is trying to fill in those gaps about victims and survivors that we don't have filled yet. But it's really hard to do that when I don't have the resources and the information to fill those gaps. And I try my best to maybe help somebody else piece things together. But I just wish that there was some sort of database or app that 
had this sort of information. And like the only database that I found that has biographical information for almost everybody on it would be findagrave.com. And that's very limited biographical information, but it's something. Because the main bulk of information that any true crime podcast gets if they do murder stories and don't let them fool you is from the obituary. They're taking the obituary and they're making it very long-winded. So just know that's how they do it. But not in all cases, but those are the cases that I'm struggling with now. The ones that have very little information available. Your treasure troves are those obituaries, those high school records, those sorts of things that have very vague information on it. And I think that maybe we would all benefit from some sort of database that puts that information in there, that that fills the backlog. And Yeah, I can keep dreaming, huh? What I do know is that Zoreda was born in Michoacan, Mexico in 1986. And when she was very young, her parents migrated from Michoacan, Mexico to Santa Ana, California. The family seemed to be much happier in California. They moved to a decent neighborhood with decent schools, good neighbors, a nice community. Zareda was very social as a young kid. She made lots of friends fairly easily because she was a very social child, bubbly, outgoing. In school, she had the type of personality that made you want to sit next to her on the bus. Zareda attended Century High School in Santa Ana, California, and it was in high school that she really started to discover herself. And being assigned male at birth, high school is when Zareda discovered her identity as a transgender woman. Obviously, we know that it's very difficult to come out and live your life as a trans person these days. And Zareda was no stranger to that struggle. She dealt with harassment. She looked and saw that LGBTQ migrant families were being split apart at a higher rate than non-LGBT migrant families being singled out for their sexual identity and non-traditional household. Zareda was accepted by family and friends after coming out as trans, which left her with her eyes and focus set on one thing, and that was political justice. So she attended Santa Ana College. Zareda began working on her degree in Chicano studies and then moved to the University of California at Santa Barbara before she had to stop going to classes because she could no longer afford the tuition, which only made her fight for equal rights and equal opportunities for everybody that much harder. Zareda's very outgoing social child personality had all but vanished at this point because of the shit that she'd been through and seen and had to deal with. So it really shocked her parents and family and friends when Zareda picked up activism full throttle, began speaking in public, began fighting for what she knew was right in the public eye. That shyness that they had known since she'd come out as transgender was completely melting away as she came into her own as this powerful, amazing activist. Zoraida marched at the front of the line of many a protest, including leading a rally, calling on Santa Ana to end its contract with Immigration and Customs Enforcement on May 27th, 2014. Zareda led and shouted group chants into a bullhorn loudly and proudly in the middle of the streets of Santa Ana. Now that she'd discovered and finally become comfortable with her identity, she was able to start delving into her personality and bringing out all those best features and qualities and that strength that we know Zareda for today. Even though she was being faced with all that adversity every day, her passion for justice and for protesting and calling for action gave her the ability to grin and bear it every day, which is no way to live, but is just an extreme testament to just how 
powerful Zareda was. The Reyes family was quite the close-knit family, trying to always have dinner together, hanging out together, always keeping in touch, actually enjoying the time that they spent together. They loved to have little impromptu karaoke nights where the whole family would get together, everyone would have a little liquor, have a little beer, and then they would just go in and sing their hearts out. And everybody in the family had their own specific song that they would choose and sing when they would do the karaoke. At her funeral in 2014, Zareda's mother spoke in her eulogy, which by the way was in front of tons of people, and Zareda's mother had that same fear and of public speaking and that same shyness that her daughter had. But while she eulogized, she mentioned that she never really considered the weight of the song that Zareda would choose at their family impromptu karaoke nights. Zareda would always sing Toros Mi Miran by Gloria Trevi, which is a song is about a person who's been rejected and pushed down and beaten down so many times, only to come back even stronger after getting through all of that rejection and adversity. And Zareda's mom really reflected on that after her daughter was gone. Her mother, Macrina, told the crowd in Spanish, which I am not going to attempt, I asked for her forgiveness because I didn't tell her enough how much I loved her. I also wish I got to know her other family before she died. That's... That's heavy. And Macrina had always called the friends and co-workers of Zareda's through her activism her other family, just because of how close they were and the way that their relationship was so clearly passionate and this really family group mentality of persevering and getting the shit shut down that they're protesting. They were a family and Zareda had that. All queer people do. It's just really, really heartbreaking, but endearing at the same time to see her mom acknowledge that at her daughter's funeral. Sorry, quick correction from production. Earlier when I said Zoreda never finished her degree, she did finish her associate's degree in Chicano studies, but she never went on to finish her bachelor's degree. My apologies. You know, obviously this is heartbreaking. Everything that her mother said was heartbreaking, but any sort of silver lining to come out of it would be, she was also quoted saying, I want to get closer to her second family now. They've helped me get through this. So Zoreda's friends and coworkers were there with her mother to help her. They took on Zareda's family as their own and helped in any way that they could. It was a real moment of community coming together and it was something that was really beautiful to read about. Being the very active activist that she was, Zareda was a member of a large number of activist groups in Santa Ana and the surrounding area. She was a member of a large number of groups, including one with a very long name, Orange County Dream Team, Decolores, Queer Orange County, and Familia, Trans Queer Liberation Movement. That's the full title. This is where she made many of her friends and became a very strong leader in this group. And Alexa Vasquez was one of those friends that Zareda had met through her extensive activism. Alexa vividly remembers Zareda being the first person to ever take her to a gay club, which is any and every queer person's true coming out, is when they step foot in a gay club for the first time and they see drag and they see every member of the queer community getting together and being a family. It's one of the most powerful experiences that you can have as a queer person. Alexa even said that Zareda taught her Alexa even said that Zareda taught her how to be a trans woman. Zareda was essentially her mother. In an interview with the Daily Press, Alexa discussed some of Zareda's struggles and adversity that she faced 
saying, Zareda was rejected from food service and retail jobs that she was way overqualified for. Exit quote. Mind you, she had an associate's degree. Come the fuck on. Back into quote. Because people would notice that she was transgender. As a society, we are constantly letting trans women down and turning our back from them. No truer words were spoken, Alexa. While she was in between jobs because of that specific ignorant practice, Zareda did some sex work to make money to make ends meet on the side, which is how she met typical methy man Randy Lee Parkerson. Randy had lost his chance at a successful life long ago, but in 2014, he additionally lost his shitty dead-end job. After losing his job, Randy did what any stand-up citizen would do and began a week-long meth binge. He later told police that the excessive use of methamphetamine was the reason for his sexual cravings. Like I said, Zareda wasn't actively looking for sex work, but she was struggling financially, so if the opportunity ever presented itself, she made no judgment. She was definitely not above taking that money. Nobody is. Let's be real. So, when Randy messaged Zareda on Grindr, offering her money in exchange for sex, she accepted. On June 10th, 2014, Zareda and Randy meet in a public area of Santa Ana in a commercial parking lot type situation, where Zareda gets into Randy's car and their exchange starts. The agreement was that Randy and Zareda would meet Zareda would perform oral sex on Randy, she would be paid and on her way. That was the transaction, that was the deal. Now this information I retrieved from a legal transcript that was only from Randy's testimony. There was no like counter eyewitness or anything, so it's just Randy's testimony and Randy's story to go off of and take with a grain of salt. Now it goes without saying that in the sex work industry, there are no deals, sales, you never get more than you pay for. That's just not how that works at all. And Randy didn't seem to understand that because he claims that at some point during the interaction, Zareda then agreed to penetrative sex for no additional money at all. So that's just not true. There's like zero way in hell or heaven that any sex worker would ever agree to that. More likely, being that he was high on meth, he probably began raping Zareda during their interaction. And that's the truth, not whatever the fuck he's spewing. He then went on to say that Zareda actually requested to be put in a headlock and choked out. Now I know that there is kink and we all got some, but no, she didn't. That's murder. And if she had, that's not how you do it. There's safe ways to do these practices. And murdering somebody should never happen. You should never be doing something that dangerous in the bedroom, kink or not. Fuck in the bedroom, anywhere. Never, ever, anywhere, ever, ever do that, okay? Can we all agree? And with 100% stone-faced seriousness, Randy tells police that the reason he didn't stop choking Zareda was because he couldn't because he had climaxed during sex and then suddenly had zero control over his body, pulled his arm so tightly and for so long that Zareda was murdered with his arm. Randy said that when he finally finished, he realized that he had killed her. Didn't know that he'd killed her yet, but when he finished, he realized that he killed her. Disgusting statement. He then wrapped her body in a jacket and started driving. Randy then drove from the hotel back to his house, where he presumably did more drugs because he had just murdered a person with his bare hands. While smoking meth, 
He got very paranoid, surprise, surprise. And although it had only been four hours since he'd murdered Zareda, and realistically nobody would be looking for her yet, he thought the police were on their way and gonna come get him. So he took the body again and he drove away from his home in Anaheim. Once he felt that he was far enough away from these invisible, non-existent police chasing him, he got a motel room and slept for the night. The next day, he woke up and drove all the way to Temecula. He stopped out there in a wooded area to contemplate what he was going to do with the body that had been in his trunk for 24 hours at this point, and ultimately decided to dump it in the woods, then drove to Vegas to binge and spend the rest of his money on meth, which he did. Zareda's body was discovered on the morning of June 12th, 2019, behind a dairy. She was in the wooded area behind the restaurant on the 200 block of North State College Boulevard. Her friends and family were obviously crushed when they heard the news, and over 200 mourners marched through the streets to demand justice for their sister, who'd marched through those same streets to get rights for herself and her friends and her family. Police went through Zareda's phone and found that the last conversation that she'd ever had was with Randy the night that she was killed. They looked through the messages, they found the entire transaction discussed and planned on Grinder. They were able to find the address that he took her to, where they met, and not much after that, but that's all they needed to incriminate Randy. And by October 7th, 2014, Randy was indicted and charged with the murder of Zareda Reyes. They'd found him there after a long bender of four months of smoking tons of meth, drinking, and gambling away every last cent that he had to his name. The trial took a ridiculously long time to actually begin for Zareda. Zareda's trial took a ridiculously long time to begin, and I couldn't even tell you what held up the justice system so much on this one. I know that it's not often that they have an excuse, but I really thought there might be one this time, just because of the gap and the fact that they already had this person in custody. I'm not complaining that he was in jail, sitting there for that long, but I am complaining that this wasn't a priority for anybody. Four years after the arrest... And a few months into Randy's trial, in 2016, a jury finds him guilty of only second-degree murder. Randy used an app catered to the LGBT community to find and target transgender sex workers to commit violent crimes against, knowing that it's difficult for them to report to the police what's happened to them. Except in this case, he took it a step further and murdered Zareda Reyes. He was convicted, and he is still sitting behind bars, but he's eligible for parole after 15 years in prison. Which means that there's a very good chance that that man will get out of jail and walk free again. Even though it literally doesn't get any more premeditated than Randy's case. I mean, it's just the most disgusting lack of justice that I've seen so far doing this. And that's that's a stretch to say, but it's true. Although Zareda may have been seen as shy for the majority of her life, people really truly didn't understand the transformation that she had had in her life. From this social child into this shy, withdrawn adolescent, back into this social, passionate, active adult. Her friend Jorge pointed that out. In an interview, Jorge Gutierrez was quoted saying, She broke away from her shy shell. She had a lot of clarity in what she wanted to say and do. She taught me how to be proud and how to be fearless when I was being myself. Like Jorge said, Zareda had truly just started coming into her own and realizing that she was a strong, proud person and that she could truly do anything that she set her mind to. And unlike our parents told us, not everybody has that capability. 
Zareda definitely did. The chant that Zareda was able to lead through the megaphone was ni una mas, which translates to not one more. Not one more trans woman killed, not one more family ripped apart, not one more. And she was passionately screaming that all day, and I can still hear her saying that today. Her best friend that I mentioned earlier, Alexa, also gave a very heartbreaking and beautiful quote about her friend at her funeral. Alexa said, I am missing you in intervals of pain, laughter, and sorrow. I know I'm never going to be able to say goodbye, but I don't even have to because I'll carry your dreams and your goals like I embody this skin, our skin. I know that in my mind and in yours, we're in this journey together, making plans and sacrifices in order to transition and leave Santa Ana. But we also know that you were making the biggest sacrifices and dreaming the biggest dreams. You're now a light friend, a light that will keep on burning eternally in me and the others whose lives you've touched immensely. I love you, Mana. Heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. Zareda was one of the most appreciated and loved people that I've ever researched, and the people who lost her are truly broken. She left a huge impact when she was taken. Zareda Reyes is absolutely resting in power. We're never going to forget her. On that very dark note, surprisingly dark note considering this is a murder podcast, it's time to transform. Well, yes, that is the finished look for this week. I'm very far away from the camera, but that's only because this hair is so big. Okay, I'm back where I was now. I don't want the sound to be weird, but I'll back up again so you can appreciate it once again. As always, I hope you guys really enjoyed this week's episode, and I genuinely hope that you learned something about Zareda Reyes, because if you learn something about anybody on my show, everybody's worth it, but Zareda has such an amazing and inspiring story, even as a murder victim. I hope you are now after hearing it, but look into her and spread the word about Zareda Reyes. Have her memory be known the way that it should be, the way that she deserves to have her name remembered. Like I said, I'm in a new studio this week and I will be very descriptive about it for people who are watching my podcast so that you know what my in-house studio is like. People who watch YouTube videos, honestly, even podcasters, you should probably just go watch the video for this one. Yes, we've got the studio set up. Green screens hanging, green floor, green ceiling. And then you have me in my corner behind my beautiful dividers. It's the Murders of Dry Corner, lovelies. Yeah, that's the studio. That's my setup. That's where I work. That's how I live. Welcome to it. That was this week. I'll be back next week. It's a cycle. It happens a lot. I, I come back every week, actually. It's wild. You should, you should be here sometime. Alrighty. You know the drill. Have a fantastic week, my lovely, lovely, lovelies. Mwah.